Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I'm going to talk about spirituality and kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. This uh, So before I start, a couple podcast listeners who attended a trauma-informed parenting workshop asked me to talk about spirituality and kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. Honestly, this is a tough subject because of what we sometimes expect from our kiddos. We expect our kiddos to accept our religion of choice when they come home to us through foster care or adoption or have a capital letter syndrome or on the other side of that then the church that we go to expects our kiddos as soon as they come home in air quotes to suddenly understand all the theology and the religion and know the scriptures and the verses and do all the memory work and show up for Sunday school and be well behaved and not hide under the table and not be freaked out And that's just not realistic. Before I go any further, let me say that I am a Christian. And by that, I believe that God came to this earth in human form, sacrificed himself for all mankind so we can be in relationship with God the Father and enjoy eternal life starting here on earth. And if you aren't a Christian, you can try to apply these principles that I'm talking about to your religion. But I am going to speak from the perspective of a Christian. I'm going to start by laying a foundation in this episode about the family tree. This is really important for us to understand. Before you move forward, it's kind of like laying the blocks, the foundation blocks, before you build the house. Or getting the the tree in so that you have a greater understanding And this applies first to us and then to our kiddos. And I really believe in the trickle-down effect. And let me just pause and say, in my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos, I have several chapters on this. And so you can find them there. And I will link the chapter names in the show notes so you know which chapters to look for if you decide to purchase the book. If we, let me start with the family tree again. 
reiterate, that's what I'm going to talk about. If we don't understand our own foundation and place in the family of God, we aren't going to be able to share our faith with our children. Now, if you're a regular listener, then you've heard me say, we must make sense of and peace with our past. We must reframe our beliefs. Sometimes this means reframing our beliefs about our spiritual beliefs. I had to do this, and it was very painful. Honestly, because I had such a legalistic, harsh view of God and religion, it really felt wrong to change it. So if you're coming to this podcast and listening, and you're like, you know what, I've always believed this all of my life, and I thought everything fit in this theological box, and then we adopted kids, and or one of our kiddos got a capital letter syndrome diagnosis, and we're like, wait a minute, this does not fit. Or he does not fit in the spiritual box or a theological doctrinal box that I created. That's where I was. I didn't fit in it. My kids didn't fit in it. So I had to start reframing beliefs. I had to start looking at my beliefs through this new lens of what reality was going on in my life. And I harp on this often, and I'm not picking on any particular church, but as the Big C Church, we need to be reframing our beliefs about what the gospel really says. And the gospel doesn't say you need to come to church and be very well behaved and be silent and don't speak unless someone speaks to you. And you need to have the 16 doctrines of the church memorized by the time you're five. And when you come on kids' night, you better behave. You know, all those things like started filtering through my life as reality. And I was like, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. This legalistic view of religion and Christianity that I had, and this view of God that he just had this giant gavel, and that he was going to pound me and then pound my children with it because we couldn't do those things then I need to just step back and say, something's going on here. I need to reframe my beliefs. I need to figure out what what the truth is. And I say this, in the adoption world, the family tree is a tough issue. Some parents completely ignore it, while others look up genealogies from other countries, tracing the family history of their child's birth family. Some joke about it, brushing it off as unimportant, But it isn't unimportant. Heritage is important. Family trees are important. Now, I'm not going to go on and talk about doing a genealogy for your kiddo. That's up to you. But I will say that family trees give us a foundation, an answer to the questions about who we are, where we came from. There are many things we cannot change for our children. We cannot change their beginnings. We cannot change where they were born or to whom they were born. We cannot change, same with us, our skin color, our eye color, our stature. We cannot change what time in history that we were born or they were born. Or whether we lived through wars and famines or whether they did. 
Those things that we live through or live with are forever part of our story. But what is changeable spiritually is our family tree. Okay, I am going to read to you. This is really important because we often overlook this in our culture, in the adoption world, and in Christianity. Adopted, taken as one's own, received as a son and heir, selected for use. That's from the Webster's Dictionary, 1828. Gotta love it. Thank you, Noah Webster, for setting the record straight. Son and heir. Adopted children belong in the family tree, not off to the side, not out in the field as if they were some fungus growing out of the soil shared by the family, as if they were outsiders. I remember when a family member died and they were writing the obituary and asked us about it, and they were going to put in the obituary adopted daughter name. I'm like, no, you're not. Don't. No, don't do that. Okay. Yeah, that's a tough subject. We parents can try to take credit for the adoption, the stacks of paperwork, the INS forms, the foster and adopt classes, cleaning the cobwebs out of the corner of our family room for the home study, but there is only one who has the power to orchestrate the event of adoption, and that is God the Father. He sets the fatherless in families. It is God who grows our family tree. He gives the family tree a new branch, not us, not a piece of paper, not a judge, not INS approval. It was written before the world began that we would be adopted, set apart as his own. Now, I wouldn't spend, I won't spend a great deal of time on my favorite adoption section of the Bible, but Ephesians 1 says it all. And if you've attended one of my workshops, you know that I say this verse in every workshop. For he or, foreordained us, destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of his will because it pleased him and it was his kind intent. That's Ephesians 1.5. We can hang our family photo on the tree right next to Moses, David, Joseph, and Mary. See me? I'm that freckle-faced ginger right next to Jesus. And that smile took three years of braces. Well, you might be saying, you know, I thought you were going to talk about kids and spirituality and religion and all of those sorts of things. And isn't what you're saying just theology? Isn't our adoption into the family of God some sort of celestial floaty thing? What could it possibly have to do with physical adoption and real life? Okay, I want you to listen carefully. I feel like I'm standing on my soapbox and I'm preaching, but you know what? You cannot separate the theology and reality of adoption. You just can't. According to Dictionary.com, theology is the field of study and the analysis that treats the things of God and of God's attributes and relations to the universe. 
the study of divine things or religious truth, divinity. What we study about God's attributes and His relation to us is reality. Our physical and spiritual lives should be a tightly knit mesh woven together so closely that you cannot separate the two. And I'm going to read you this quote by Russell Moore from his book, Adopted for Life. Adoption is on one hand the gospel. In this, adoption tells us who we are as children of the Father. Adoption as gospel tells us about our identity, our inheritance, and our mission as sons of God. This is one of the things in my life that I had to reframe. I had to leave behind that legalistic view of who I was on the family tree and in the kingdom of God. So that trickle-down effect could happen for my kiddos. And, you know, when I talk about making sense of and peace with our past, those are the things, and reframing our beliefs, which, which is what I'm talking about right now, We often want to skip those because we want to know how do I infuse my spiritual practices into our everyday life for my children? Well, this is how we start. So if you're struggling with your view of who you are on the family tree, and now I can see myself on the large family tree of God and my adopted children grafted into my family tree with their own histories intact. They are my real children, just as I am a real child of God by His grace and because it was His kind intent. If not, I'm in big trouble, and so are you. That's why this is such an important part of the puzzle of our spirituality knowing who we are in Christ, knowing where we fit on the family tree, knowing where our kiddos fit. So can you imagine God gluing photos on the family tree and saying, now Moses, he's my real child. His leaf goes here. But Kathleen, she doesn't make the family tree. She's just a mushroom over to the side. We'll let her grow in the shade beside the tree, but she doesn't belong in the same way My other children do. Oh my goodness, thank God for the truth. That is not true, but that's the way I used to think about myself. And often, that's how people think about adopted children. I'm not saying that you think that way, but in our culture, there are a lot of people who think that way. Like, oh, you're such a blessing to those kiddos. You took them into your home and, you know, they're doing... No, no. That's not what it means. Just as I am on the family tree of God, I'm grafted in. My children are grafted in. They are my real children. And they are God's real children. Now I'm going to read you a scripture, 1 John 3, 1. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, bestowed on us that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. 
The reason that the world does not know, recognize, and acknowledge us is that it does not know, recognize, and acknowledge Him. It is God who restores. It is He who puts families together in this imperfect world. It is He who grows your family tree. As Desmond Tutu said, you do not choose your family. They are God's gift to you as you are to them. All right, now I'm going to go back in history here for a little bit, and I'm going to talk about before the beginning. Because every powerful fairy tale begins with, once upon a time, and ends with, and they lived happily ever after. Our favorite stories are usually sandwiched between those two phrases. The part of the story we tend to ignore is the bit that happened before Once Upon a Time. And that's where the story of adoption begins. Before the foundation of the world, before Once Upon a Time, before the clock began to tick and the years began their countdown to Christ. We usually read the biblical account of creation and assume that that was the beginning. After all, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God prepared, formed, fashioned, and created the heavens and the earth. Sounds like a great beginning, right? Once upon a time, God created the earth, and he created man in his own image. Male and female, female, he created them. But by the... Chapter 3 in Genesis, the whole story seems to fall apart and unravel. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit and become like God, able to distinguish between good and evil, blessing and calamity. God sends them forth from the garden. Adam and Eve are separated from their father. A curse falls upon the world and the plot turns sour. Now, if you're wondering where I'm going with this, hang on. Like I said, we have to get this foundation straight before we can reframe our beliefs. We need to know which beliefs we need to reframe. So many of us ask, why didn't God rescue me? Why did he abandon me? And our kids ask the same. And the answer is the curse. Everything we pray about has something to do with the curse. We pray to cure sickness, to wipe out poverty, to stop war, to end famines, to rid the world of abandonment and rejection. All of our prayer requests, even and especially the big ones, stem from the curse. In fact, the rest of the Old Testament after the beginning is a long list of tales about the effects of the curse. The people God created forgot him. Noah and his family being saved from a worldwide flood. God made a covenant with Abraham and adopted Israel. Joseph's story followed by 400 years of slavery. Moses and the Exodus. The Israelites wandering through the wilderness and reaching the promised land. The warnings of the prophets. The story gets stuck on repeat, seven cycles of judgment, banishment, prophets who promise a Messiah, 400 years of silence. When will death end? When will the curse be broken? As storytellers go, God is the master. He created the story. 
champion. He is the king of foreshadowing. We don't have to wonder what his plan is. He tells us clearly in chapter 3 that the woman's offspring will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike his heel. The first prophecy about Jesus uttered to a serpent and the mother of all living. And it's worth remembering that before the beginning, before creation, the fall, the curse, and everything that came after it, God already had a plan for us. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. He was present originally with God. That's John 1, 1 and 2. Before time, there was Jesus. We tend to read that the story as linear. We mark dates on a timeline, noting centuries, decades, years and months, weeks, days, hours and minutes, as if it has always worked that way. It hasn't, and God doesn't count time that way. I can't tell you exactly how God sees time. But I can tell you how the adoption story goes. It is so much broader, deeper, and more thought out than most of us give him credit for. We try to take the credit for adoption as if humans in their finite wisdom thought, this child is an orphan. I should do something about it. Let's make up a word for it. We'll call it adoption. Yet that is so far from the truth. By faith, we understand that the worlds during the successive ages were framed, fashioned, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the Word of God, so that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. Hebrews 11.3 Fairy tales use magic to get things done. In God's kingdom, it's called faith. It doesn't have anything to do with pixie dust, but you do have to believe. We believe that God framed the world for his intended purpose. And the purpose is revealed in the book of Ephesians. Even as in his love, he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for him, and blameless in his sight, even above reproach before him in love. He foreordained, he destined us, he planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the purpose of his will, because it pleased him. And it was in his kind intent. And Ephesians 1 also says, So we might be to the praise and commendation of his glorious grace, favor, and mercy, which he so freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So I would say, look up those verses. Because in the book I say, read those verses again. And don't do that just one time. If you're working on reframing your beliefs because you want to have some sort of spiritual foundation for your family and you're trying to go, oh my goodness, everything 
is not working. It doesn't fit in the boxes that I originally had for my spiritual journey, for my religion. I recommend that you take these verses and you read them, you highlight them, you recite them, you get them in your heart. I know, because I usually, like, I would skim these verses for years. Like, yeah, oh, that's a bunch of floaty celestial stuff. doesn't really apply to me. But whenever I had to begin making sense of and peace with my past, and I'm parenting all of these kiddos, I needed to reframe my beliefs because it just wasn't working. That legalistic system is kind of what traditional parenting is like it's my way or the highway or this is the way religion is it's not that way and I'm not devising some new sort of theology this is all in the bible within these verses is the crux of the story of adoption or the story period our story our purpose the story and the purpose of the universe all right, so before time, so I'm going back even further now. Hang with me now. When Jesus and God were hanging out together, they hatched a plan. They wrote this story. Before God spoke the world into existence, he foreordained our adoption. Like if they had a meeting, they're like, okay, we're going to make this world. We're going to form it. We're going to speak it into being. But here's the plan. I'm going to adopt all of these kiddos on the earth, all of them, because it was his kind intent. He had a family photo of us on the mantle before we were even born, before he formed Mount Everest or giant sequoia trees or any of the mysteries and marvels of nature. He thought a family. He had your photo, the perm gone wrong, in his wallet before he walked into that hair salon. Okay, not me because my hair is naturally curly, but you get the point. Family, his family, the purpose of the universe. Adam and Eve may have been his first children listed in the book of Genesis, but according to the flashback in Ephesians, God had already planned to adopt us all before the dirt and Adam even existed. Now I'm going to move on to the importance of family. So what does it mean to be adopted by God? It means you and I are each part of the story. We each have our own chapter and woven together, our chapters make up the greatest adoption story ever told. Stories of rejection and abandonment are turned upside down in God's kingdom. Why? Because of adoption. It is the faith of adoption in which we receive the spirit of adoption and cry, Abba, Father, that makes the rejection fade. The curse is broken. Through Christ, we have redemption, deliverance, and remission of sin. We are chosen. We are loved. We are secure in His purpose. We know that He works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his will. There may be a God, little g, of this world roaming to and fro, looking for someone to devour. devour. He may be the Miss Hannigan of this worldly orphanage that we are in, but his plans and his designs are not the end of the story. 
we will have some hard knock days, but Jesus himself told us to be of good cheer. Although we will have trials and tribulations, we know that he has overcome the world. We will get our happily ever after, so have faith. The whole story is written. We know the ending. The prince who died and rose again is coming back again to rescue us from this earthly orphanage and take us home to live with our forever family. Family was God's idea. It wasn't something we evolved into. The first families weren't men clubbing each other and dragging away women against their will, although similar events have happened before, ha- happened after the fall and still happen today. <laughs> God created one holy family, Eve, the mother of all living, and Adam, the gardener of Eden. As the source of the family and life itself, the union of the sexes is placed at the center of the real struggle between good and evil, between life and death, between love and all that is opposed to love. That's from Theology of the Body for Beginners. God sets the solitary in families. Family is the foundation of society. Each family is a building block. And how do you destroy the body of Christ, the church? You chip away the foundation of family. Leave families licking their wounds, broken and depressed, and the blocks crumble. So I'm going to finish with adoption and the curse. In November of 1999, I entered the stark white airport in a new country, a new land, I expected a welcoming committee, complete with fur hats. Instead, the halls were empty, except for a few intimidating-looking guards with guns slung over their shoulders. What kind of land had I entered? This was Poland, nearly a decade after the fall of communism. She was paranoid and fearful, wading around the shores of democracy and slowly inching towards a better future. In How We Survived Communism and Even Laughed by Slavinka Drolik, she explains it this way, I understand in the West today the end of communism has been a stock phrase, a truism, a common expression supposed to indicate the current state of things in Eastern Europe. It sounds marvelous when you hear it in political speeches or read it in the newspapers. The reality is that communism persists in the way people behave, in the looks on their faces, in the way they think. But people's personalities shaped by communism, communist regimes they live under, are slower to change. Political ideologies can be violent in ways that we don't expect. They tamper with minds, behaviors, countenances, and personalities. Violence doesn't always mean guns and bombs. Sometimes it's perceptions, ideas, and the way these things shape our countries, our lives, and our families. When an oppressive ideology has ruled for years, its residue remains long after the political power changes. Political ideologies are a potent force that are not easy to fight against. Ten years after the Berlin Wall fell, Poland was still not sure that change was possible. Now, why am I saying all of that? 
because it's important to remember how these things affect our kiddos, whether they are adopted from a different country or just a different culture a block away from us. As Christians, we know that underlying all of the physical, political, and psychological violence we see in the world is a spiritual battle. Every wave of violence is preceded by an ideology or prejudice. The kingdom of heaven is not immune to violence. Christians know what it is like to suffer at the hands of those who are prejudiced against their ideology and devotion to the kingdom of God. So there are different types of violence. We have to remember that. Murder, assault, martyring, neglect. And these are evident and they create orphans. However, there is another kind of violence and it is less obvious. Although it still involves force, a strong will, an ardent zeal, this sort of violence is quiet. It involves pounding away at ideologies long before the hammer comes to knock down the actual Berlin walls, that in air quotes there. It involves lobbying for legislative changes in the marbled halls of the Capitol building years before the pen meets the paper. So I just wanted to focus on that for a few minutes, that we adoptive parents, the force of adoption is to presume that the wounded can be made whole through prayer and fasting, a new name written on a document that says family, a belief that says that same name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that hope that the temporal family on earth will lead to an eternal family in heaven, that is seizing the kingdom. Adoptive parents, we march into the rubble of violence in a quiet act of zeal. After an endless amount of paperwork, gut-wrenching, soul-searching home study, <laughs> months of fundraising and selling off our worldly goods, and then add a 10-hour flight and more cramped travel time on the ground. And we arrive in orphanages that reek of lack to meet children orphaned by violence of another sort. So we parents, we step into that. And we say, I'm tearing down the old wall and building my family on the freedom offered through Christ. And that's why I wanted to finish up with that. I know that last part is like really wordy and heavy. But if we understand the foundation of family, if we understand the true meaning of adoption, and we make sense of and peace with our past, and we reframe our beliefs about our spirituality, then we can pass these things on to our children. Now, I am recording another podcast that goes more into depth about this, not the theology part, but just the practi practical steps that you can work through or practical suggestions that you can try if you want. I know this particular podcast had a lot of meat, so I suggest that you listen to it more than once and that you grab a copy of How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos and you read the chapter the origins of adoption and start reframing your belief because understanding this, reframing your th theology, 
will change everything else in your spiritual pursuits. So thanks for listening today, and I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.